Hey, welcome to the Lifehouse Newport News podcast. Thanks for joining us. Our vision is to bring life change through Christ to all people. And we believe that happens when people say yes to Jesus. Do life together, get in the game and leave a legacy. If this podcast inspires and challenges you to grow in your faith, subscribe to ensure you don't miss a single episode and share it with someone you know who may need it too. Again, thank you for joining us today. Now, let's get to this week's episode. Uh, But today, we're actually going to continue our series, Jesus on dot, 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 fill in the blank, right? Uh, We're looking at a lot of controversial topics like privilege, which is a fun one, like politics, like marriage, like sex, right? And you may be thinking, why in the world would y'all ever do a series like that? We're not trying to stir the pot. We're not trying to cause a ruckus. But what we have found is that often we have all of these different opinions and ideas and beliefs. And there are so many other things, other people, other resources that shape and form our opinions. But Jesus, even as Christians, right, we listen to everybody else and everything else and specifically what culture has to say. But we don't know what Jesus has to say about it. So that's the whole point of this series is we want to look at what Jesus has to say. And Jesus shows us in John chapter 10 why it is a dangerous place to be in uh, when we look at everything else but Jesus when it comes to these different topics. In that chapter, he gives an illustration about sheep and how sheep follow the voice of the shepherd and they run from the voice of the stranger. Sheep know the shepherd's voice. And so they follow the voice of the shepherd and they know the voice of the shepherd so well that they can recognize when there's a stranger's voice and they won't follow that stranger. And this is the thing, y'all, if we don't spend time getting to know what Jesus says on an issue, we will get comfortable with listening to and following a stranger's voice. And that's a dangerous place to be. And unfortunately, For many of us, we've become familiar and comfortable with strange voices. (laughs) And the one voice that is supposed to be familiar and comfortable to us and that we're supposed to follow is the very voice that actually starts to sound strange and we get uncomfortable with it and we're not sure if it's worth following. If we don't know what Jesus says on an issue, if we if we don't know his voice, we will not be able to make a distinction between culture's voice and God's voice in our lives. And this is important because whatever voice you follow, it will form you. Whatever voice we follow forms us. So this morning, this is why we're going to go straight to Jesus, our shepherd, and we're going to look at what he has to say about one of the most important topics that we could cover, which is love. The culture around us has a lot to say about love. Uh, And we can actually see the messaging that culture says in many of the reality TV shows that are out there. I'm not a huge TV person, but listen, maybe you know these shows. So there's one called Love Island. And from what I understand, love the premise of Love Island is let's get all these like super hot single people and we'll put them on an island for like an entire summer and kind of let them have at it. And then we'll just see who connects and who finds love, right? Or there's, and this one is like, drop, drop a comment if like this is your show. But The Bachelor, 
right? Or the bachelorette. And so you have, what is it, like 25? It's like 25 women, right, if it's the bachelor, um, that are lining up, you know, waiting to, to get that ring, to get that marriage proposal. And the guy just goes through the women and literally they're, they're romantic candidates, right? And so he just eliminates whoever he wants for whatever reason. Maybe their favorite color was orange, but he hates orange, right? And he finally gets to the last one and then he gives them that proposal, right? That's the whole premise is, let me pick my wife out of these 25 options. People become options. Then there's Married at First Sight. Now, Married at First Sight, the idea of this show stresses me all the way out. So with Married at First Sight, it features three to five couples and they're paired up by these relationship experts, right? To see like what the chemistry would be. Let's see if, if this works, if we put them together. And they have to agree to get married at first sight. Like, can you picture that? Like you're walking down the street and the first person you bump into, like that's your husband, that's your wife. That is stressful to me. I don't know about y'all. And so they live together for eight whole weeks. And then after eight weeks, they have what's called decision day. And so it's funny that like decision day wasn't the day that they chose to get married. Decision day is after they get married. And for eight weeks, they figure out, do I like you or not? And then they have the option. If you don't like them, divorce them. If you do like them, stay married. That's decision day. Here's the problem. How can culture teach us about love if everyone is still looking for it. What is culture going to teach us about love if it seems like most people are failing at it? Ironically, these shows are about finding love, but like in The Bachelor, there are technically like 24 losers that like go home loveless. Like what happens to them? And then the one person that does win, there's like a 50-50% chance that the marriage isn't gonna last based on today's divorce rates. So even the winner may end up losing. Our culture in many ways is failing at love. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna look at what Jesus has to say about love versus what culture has to say about love. And the first thing that Jesus says is that love is unconditional, not transactional. Love is unconditional, not transactional. Y'all, our relationships are so transactional. I know mine have been, and God has had to work on me with that. We're like kids in a lunchroom, right? Like, I'll, I'll trade you my chocolate milk for your cookies or like for your Pop-Tart or whatever. Like, we always want to think about what can I get from this? And that's what culture teaches us. It's about me. Everything's about me. Everything's about what I can benefit. Everything's about what I can get from the other person. Not what I can give, but what I can receive and what I can take in a lot of cases. So love becomes this transaction between us. I'll scratch your back if you scratch mine sort of thing. I'll love you, but you got to match my energy. And the moment that you don't, you got to go. And if somebody rubs you the wrong way or gets on your nerves, then bump them, right? And especially if they hurt you. But you would think that would be a reason just to stop loving somebody, right? But the moment I get hurt at any level, it's a wrap. But Jesus calls us to a higher love. Uh, and Paul, uh, who was a follower of Jesus, he wrote most of the New Testament. He's going to describe this love in 1 Corinthians 13. And we'll start at verse 4. 
He says, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud. Love is not rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable. That's in the Bible. Love is not irritable. Where are all my irritable people, people at? <laughs> I'm going to let that go. But love is not irritable. It keeps no record of being wrong. It don't hold nothing against you. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. You don't have a decision day where you get to decide if you're out or not. Love never gives up, no, never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Now, it is important to note what kind of love um, that Paul is talking about here in these verses. So in the Greek, which is the original language of the New Testament, um, there's really four different types of love that Paul could have referred to. So there's eros, that's where we get like erotic type of love, it's that romantic type of love. I don't know why I just did my shoulders like that, ignore that, but it's that romantic type of love. Then there's storge, which is like a bond between uh, family members. Uh, then there's phileo, which that's where we actually get the city of Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. So it's this bond that you have between friends. But the word that Paul uses here is agape. And agape is not only used here in 1 Corinthians 13, but it's used over and over by Jesus himself when Jesus is teaching about love. And this agape love is love without conditions. Man, a love with no if. A love that is not I love you if. You're not annoying. I love you if you don't hurt me. I love you if you can make me feel good. I love you if it takes the conditions off. And if we are honest with ourselves, our love has a lot of ifs attached to it. I'll be straight up. God has had to work with me on that. Because let me tell y'all something, my cutoff game <laughs> used to be crucial. I mean, crucial. And as I was looking back over the different relationships in my life, I saw that it wasn't always about the other person, right? Because I felt like if they did me wrong or I got a whiff of something foul, I was quick with it. And God started to show me this pattern. He was like, what if it's you? And I was like, first of all, <laughs> You didn't have to do that to me, Jesus. But he was right. It was me. Because I found that I was putting these expectations on people, a lot of which were unspoken, that they didn't even know about. And these expectations were things that not only could they not meet those, but really it was for God to meet in my life, for God to fulfill. And then I would put these conditions on my love. I love you if. I wasn't loving people well. And yes, there are some people that like we need to love from a distance. <laughs> and that's just the truth. But in most cases, we don't need to jump straight to cutting people off. Maybe we need to cut the strings that are attached to our love. Maybe we need to start cutting off the conditions that we place on our love. And we hold back love from people when love was freely given to us. It's not always easy to love this way. It's really like never easy to love this way because it grates against our human nature. And I would even say it's impossible to love this way because we all got that one family member 
We all got that coworker. Let that person cut you off in the middle of traffic. It is impossible to love without conditions in your own strength and in your own love. That's why we desperately need Jesus. Desperately. And so love really becomes more like a discipline, which is why Jesus shows us in Scripture that love is a command. It's not a choice. Love is a command. It's not a choice. This is what we are called to do. This is what our lives look like as Christians, as followers of Jesus. Society will tell you to do what you feel when you feel like it. If you don't feel the love anymore, then it's time to leave. It's time to pack your bags. If you don't feel like forgiving that person, I mean, shoot, don't. Love when you feel like it. But the problem with that is that feelings are fleeting and feelings are not fair because what you feel about one person, you won't feel about the other person. Maybe because they don't agree with you or because they don't look like you or because you think they smell. I mean, literally, there are so many reasons why we pick and choose who we love, when we love, and how we love. But Jesus lets us know in Matthew 22, verse 34 through 40, that loving people is not optional. This is not an option for us who claim to follow Jesus. And so the scene here is the religious people at this time, they're, trying to, they're always trying to trap Jesus, like always trying to ask him a question that makes him look bad and they can accuse him, but Jesus was like so on top of it. So verse 34, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees with his reply, they met together to question him again. One of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap him with this question. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? And Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commands, to love God with all of your being and equally to love your neighbor as yourself. When we say yes to following Jesus, we are committing to a life of loving God and loving people. There are no days off when it comes to loving people. And scripture even gets specific about how we are supposed to love people. I love that he lays it out because I need, like, I need to have everything laid out for me. So thank you, God, for your word so I don't have to guess. So 1 John 3, 16 through 18, this is how we know what love is. If you're wondering what it is, this is how we know. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and our sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can love be in that person? How can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and with truth. That phrase, no pity, Seeing somebody in need and having no pity on them, it actually means to close your heart shut so that it becomes inaccessible. And I think this is the problem today is that we are a society of closed hearts. We're not accessible. Our hearts are closed 
to the people that are hurting around us. And Jesus is calling us to a life that is overflowing with compassion, the kind of love that can't sit still, the kind of love that has to do something about what I see. I have to take action. And who does Jesus say we should offer this kind of love to? As Pastor John would say, everybody, <laughs> with that crazy face in the back, everybody. We are to love everybody, even your enemies. Matthew 5, 43 through 48, this is the Sermon on the Mount is what we kind of know it as. Jesus is, is teaching and preaching, and it's mainly a Jewish audience that he's speaking to. Um, and he has this to say. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? He said, that's light work. And not even the tax collectors. I mean, aren't, aren't even the tax collectors doing that, he says. And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. And there's something I want to highlight here because it's significant that Jesus actually talks about rain how God reigns on the righteous and the unrighteous. And his audience would have understood the significance of what he meant by that when he talks about rain, right? Because in the Old Testament, uh, God would show his blessing on a nation by either pouring down rain or he would punish them by withholding the rain. And he would withhold the rain so that the land would become dry and desolate. And rain was everything. It affected everything, the economy. It affected people's ability to eat, right? Because you couldn't grow the crops if there wasn't enough rain to nourish it. So it was crucial that there was rain in the land. And they would have understood this. And what's interesting is that back in 1 John 3, uh, when Jesus, or when we talked about that uh, there are people where we show no pity, right? When we look at people that are in need and we show no pity. Th that phrase right there, the imagery is actually connected to rain. The imagery is likened to rains being withheld from the sky. And so what are we seeing here? We're seeing that it is the dry and the desolate heart that needs the rain the most. And God's love reigns on all hearts. So how can we say we are God's children and at the same time choose to withhold love from the very people that need it the most? And y'all, this is gonna be especially important in these next few months leading up into the new year. I've had so many conversations with friends and family and it seems like we're all terrified <laughs> of what is about to happen. There's this anxiety around the results of this coming election. And it, it, seems, it seems like it doesn't matter who wins, right? Whether Democrats win, whether Republicans win, whether it's Trump, whether it's Biden, 
there's going to be people that are going to be mad. And it seems like we're all fearing the chaos that potentially is about to ensue. And this is why real, unconditional, compassionate, love your enemy type of love is so needed today, right now. We can't wait any longer on this. this our country needs this type of unconditional love. And that kind of love does not come naturally. It doesn't just happen, which is why finally Jesus teaches us that love is intentional, not accidental. Love is intentional. It's not random. I love this story in Luke 19, 1 through 10. If you grew up in church, uh, it may be really familiar to you. There's even a little song that kind of goes with it. I remember singing it <laughs> when I was young in kids' church or whatever. But it's a story about a little short guy named Zacchaeus. And we may just call him Zach for short. Um, but Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass by that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. People always got something to say. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half of my wealth to the poor Lord. And if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. And Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save those who are lost. Jesus came to seek and to save those who are lost. We are all Zacchaeus. In search for something better than what we currently have. We have this gut feeling that something is missing and this can't be all that life is about. We're looking for something to fill that void in our heart that no relationship could, that alcohol can't, that partying can't, that sex can't. Everyone is looking for love. And this is the thing, y'all. Culture teaches us that you are lucky if you find it, right? That you are lucky if you find love because love is random. Not everybody finds love. Not everybody gets to experience true love. So if you find it, you're lucky. And so we search for it far and wide, hoping that one day we could get a taste of love. One day, maybe we could experience love. And that's what I love about the story of Zacchaeus, is that like us, he was looking for love that day. So much so that he climbed up a tree to get a good look at it. But what he didn't know was that love was actually looking for him. And this is where culture gets it all wrong, is that we don't 
we spend all of our time looking for love and the whole time love is looking for us. That Jesus is passionately and relentlessly pursuing us. He wants to find you. He wants to love you. He wants to care for you. And how do I know that love isn't random? Because he calls Zacchaeus by name. And he calls you by name and he calls me by name. And the question is, will you answer his call? Love is knocking at your door. You don't have to look for it anymore. It's right there. Jesus is right there calling you by name, pursuing you, pursuing your heart. Will you say yes? Will you receive this free gift of love that has been vying for your attention? You may be feeling like you don't deserve love. You may be like, Zay, you don't understand what I've been through, what I've done. I'm past the point of forgiveness. Maybe you're not sure where you belong. You even wonder, do you belong anywhere? But this is the thing, like when Jesus talks about that he came to seek and save the lost. That word lost, and it may sound crazy, but it's actually a very hopeful word. Because the connotation of being lost implies that you actually belong somewhere. So I have a home. I have somewhere where I lay my head, where I eat my food. I have somewhere where I belong physically. And if I were lost, if I were out there, that would mean that I'm not home, that I lost my way. And that should be encouraging to somebody. If you are lost, that means you have a place of origin. And this is why Jesus is calling out to you because he's letting you know you have a home that you belong to. And I wanna lead you back to it. You have a place where you are loved and where you are accepted, where you are forgiven, where you are made free from all of the shame and all of the mistakes in your life. I'm your home. We are not orphaned. Love is seeking after you. Love is calling you by name. Thank you again for joining us today. If you need prayer, have any questions about what you just heard, or said yes to Jesus for the first, second, or third time today, please reach out to us at lifehousenn.com or text 757-690-2401. We'd love the opportunity to pray for you and help guide you through the next steps in your faith journey. In the meantime, we hope you'll join us online next Sunday at 9 a.m. or 10.30 a.m. at lifehouseonline.com or in person for a live worship service at 8.30 a.m. or 10.15 a.m. at the Regal Kiln Creek Theater in Newport News, Virginia. Visit lifehousenn.com for more information or to reserve your live worship service spot today.